had the privilege of serving here at Reengage, and so grateful that you are here. Some of you may have walked through that door uh, for the 5,000th time. Others of you walked through that door tonight for the very first time. And I want you to know, either one of those, I am so thankful that you are here. This is a place uh, where you can be loved. This is a place where, uh, in, in a place of safety, in a place of trust, we can um, get some help for some of the things that have been going on in our lives. And I just want to take us back to something that uh, we sang just a few moments ago, that because um, the King is alive, King Jesus, because he's defeated death, hope can arise even from the ashes, even from the ashes. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves, right, in our marriage, in our relationship with our spouse. It's a place of ashes, a place of pain. We want you to know that tonight our prayers that what you would receive from your time here at Reengage is hope. Hope. Hope it's found in Jesus. Well, speaking of hope, uh, we're going to hear a couple share their story tonight. Uh, Wes and Angie Talley, so thankful for them coming to share the story of what God has done in their lives and in their marriage. And I think that you're going to hear that message of hope from them. So as they're coming up, let me pray for you guys, okay? Father, thank you for Wes. Thank you for Angie for um, their willingness to come and to share and to tell the story of what you have done. I do pray that you would speak through them to these men and women in this room tonight and that we together would hear uh, that message of hope uh, from you through their voices. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Good evening. Uh, and we're just grateful to be here with you tonight to share um, just the work that has, the Lord has done in our marriage to restore and redeem that which was broken. Uh, you know, if you're here broken and lost tonight, uh, much as we were our first night, we just pray that you leave with a renewed sense of hope for your marriage, uh, knowing that God loves you and he makes all things new. Uh, so, uh, I was born in Dallas and I spent most of my life in this area. My childhood was filled with a great deal of strife and dysfunction. My father was abusive towards my mom while she was pregnant with me. They separated and my father disappeared from our lives before I was born. Uh, my mom remarried when I was two to a man who adopted me. And I grew up for many years believing that he was my dad. That's all I knew. When he and my mom divorced when I was 12, his presence in my life faded. Uh, and it was around that time that I learned about and was introduced to my biological father. Uh, it didn't take long to see the hard life that he had lived and how he was unable to take control of the addictions that ruled much of his life. Uh, he didn't prove to be a consistent role model for me. Uh, but thankfully, my mom and my grandparents, on the other hand, made it a priority for me to be involved in church. They made sure I knew about God and my need for a Savior. Uh, around the age of 10, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And while I accepted Him as my Savior, I failed to develop a personal relationship with Him or fully surrender it to Him as my Lord for many years. Uh, when I was 11, an older friend introduced me to pornography. Uh, this discovery caused my thoughts to be consumed, be con become consumed uh, by sexual fantasy and changed how I looked at and thought about women for many years. Hi, everybody. Um, I was raised in a small town just outside of Dallas, and my universe revol revolved around my family, church, and friends I'd known since elementary school. I was very sheltered. 
I attended church all of my life and knew the Bible well. I accepted Christ and was baptized at a young age, but my view of God was very rule-based, and I didn't understand his grace or his love for me. I found myself striving for perfection, and knowing all the right things to do helped me feel more confident. But even while following rules, I always felt insecure in my worth, probably because I was always messing up. And this really played out in my view of my physical appearance, as I never felt skinny enough, pretty enough, and so on. My affection for order and compliance made school a place where I could easily find success, so I threw myself into academics and clubs to achieve recognition. Angie and I started dating our sophomore year in high school when we were 15 years old. <laughs> I think they have a throwback picture. I'm wearing a banana clip, ladies, for those of you who know what that is. Yeah. How many teenagers do you know that have serious portraits taken, which kind of sets the stage? Um, <laughs> Yeah, we were dorks. <laughs> While we were both good students and possessed good work ethic, we quickly became distracted by what we thought was love. Uh, my infatuation with sex proved to be much stronger than any religious conviction to remain pure, and after only several months of dating, we became sexually active. As a teenager, I had the pretty much the unbridled freedom to do anything I wanted, anytime I wanted, and Angie ended up being my primary source of rules and structure and ultimately my fun squasher. Yeah, true. Uh, my house definitely had more rules than Wes's, and since I loved him, it was my job to help him out by giving him some much needed structure. So my insecurities wouldn't allow Wes to have fun without me, especially if it was going to happen after my curfew. Although we were both continually convicted of our sexual sin, we did not reach out for help and didn't make progress to overcome it. Church became a place of shame, and I never opened my Bible for help. After all, I knew what was right and wrong, so I really saw no point. I didn't trust Wes at all, and my only form of comfort when he was out of my sight was to attempt to control him in every way possible. I honestly thought I was being helpful. <laughs> in reality, our relationship kept me from a number of unhealthy behaviors as a young person, such as partying and drinking and drugs. Uh, but we had become idols for one another. Uh, being together became the most important things in our lives, and we spent every minute outside of school, including work, working several part-time jobs together. Uh, as we began our first semester in college, I applied for my first full-time job, and little did I know how bad I'd need that job a few months later when we learned that Angie was pregnant. Uh, we married and had our son a few months after that. I went to working as many hours as I could each week, um, while Angie went to school. I enjoyed my job and I liked being around the people I worked with. I was good at it and I quickly found more satisfaction in work than I did at home. Uh, I failed to be the husband and the father that I should have been from the very beginning. To his credit, Wes handled our unexpected pregnancy very well, but I was dying inside. Instead of the good girl with a bright academic future, I was now the sinner who got knocked up. My life as I knew it was over, and shame and fear consumed me. I had very specific plans for my future that did not include children. I remained a full-time college student and worked part-time while my mom watched our son, so Wes and I could continue to strive for professional success. When our son was almost three, we decided to have another child, and we were blessed with our daughter. I'm happy to say that I did fall in love with motherhood, but the kids quickly became my primary objects of affection and attention. 
After graduating college, I began my career and immediately felt like my life was full again as I excelled at my new job and had community with several others my age. The loneliness of those college years was behind me and life was good, at least as good as I knew it could be. Wes and I still had issues, but the kids brought me a lot of joy at home, even if he would never be the man I was still trying to force him to become. Angie insisted our family attend church regularly. Uh, we were there every Sunday morning and evening and Wednesday night. As our kids grew, we became as involved in their activities as we could. I continued to enjoy success at work and allowed my satisfaction from this success to fill voids that developed in our relationship. On the outside, we did all we could to appear to be the perfect family. But the truth is, we were distant from one another. My appetite for pornography grew as Angie failed to meet many of the expectations I placed on her. I justified my behavior by focusing on what Angie was or was not doing. My addiction created a recurring cycle of getting caught looking at something I shouldn't, along with many half-hearted confessions and promises to stop, only to be drawn back in by the allure of escape from real-world issues. An emptiness developed within me, and though we were heavily involved in church, I never turned to the only one in whom true satisfaction and contentment is found, Jesus Christ. This pattern of breaking trust with Angie pushed her further and further away, creating a large chasm between us, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. The more Angie tried to control me, the further I withdrew, failing to love and lead my family in the most important ways. I didn't see the effort as worth the conflict I expected would accompany any decision I made, so I stopped leading almost entirely. While we had a loving church family and so many good friends, we lacked authentic community where we felt safe to share what was really going on in our lives and our marriage. When we did open up and share some of our struggles, those that loved us were not well equipped to support us, although they tried. Wes's continual betrayal of my trust shattered my self-worth each time something was discovered, and I lived as a full-time investigator. You see, I'd placed the same unrealistic expectations on Wes that I had put on myself. When he fell short, grace was never my response. I was prideful and self-righteous and spoke disrespectfully about Wes to anyone who would listen and provide me sympathy. Anger and resentment grew, and eventually I felt nothing at all for Wes. I knew divorce was wrong, and I didn't want that for the kids, but I spent years brainstorming ways to end the marriage and still come out on the other side as the good spouse. I felt that our marriage problems were all his fault. In 2011, my sister sent me a sermon on Ephesians 5. I, I still remember vividly the way it, it painted a clear picture of how God expected me to love Angie in the same way that Christ loves the church. Ephesians 5.25 uh, says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As a result of this, I experienced a renewed desire to improve our relationship. Uh, I worked to please her through acts of service, knowing that that was her primary love language. Uh, but my efforts seemed to fall flat. I soon resorted back to selfishness and pornography to satisfy my flesh. That October, Angie and I both came to the point where we were done trying to improve our marriage. We set our kids, ages 14 and 10 at the time, down to tell them we were getting divorced. Uh, Angie sent, me, or sent an email to their youth ministers and several parents of their close friends to let them know what was going on, asking them to care for and love on our kids. One of those parents reached out to me and told me about a program called Reengage. 
he recommended we give it a try, and a few days later, we found ourselves sitting here where you are tonight. I remember listening to the testimony in large group and being astonished at the topics that were being openly discussed, free from shame and guilt. I immediately felt a sense of hope for our marriage. I hoped re-engage would change Wes, <laughs> and he would finally become the man I wanted him to be. Throughout our marriage, we had spent years in counseling, attending marriage seminars, talking to friends and family, reading marriage books, you name it, we tried it, but nothing caused lasting change in our relationship. I too was shocked at the transparency of the couple on stage and thought that would never be us. <laughs> One of the advantages of coming to Watermark to attend Reengage, we thought, was that we wouldn't know anyone here who would learn about the disaster our marriage had become. As we moved to newcomers group the first night, we were shocked to see the wife leading the discussion was one of our son's teachers. I was mortified to think I would be sharing anything about my marriage in front of her. She and her husband appeared to have it all together. As we listened to their testimonies, my heart became pounding so hard it could have burst. Every word she spoke was familiar, and worst of all, I felt as if she was exposing my deepest secrets. I worried Wes would notice similarities in our circumstances and realize what I had been doing. In my pursuit of perfection, I had become a master liar to hide my own sin. I was in the middle of a long-term affair with a coworker that began shortly after I started my career and had continued on and off since. I would have managed to end it at one point for several years, but I never shared this secret with anyone for accountability. I would go right back to him when things at home were bad again. Ironically, I was first attracted to this man because of how well he knew the Bible and the discussions we would have about religious doctrine. I soon found comfort in the attention from the other man and believed that we were in love. He was the only one who knew how far I was from God, how desperate I was to control Wes, and I gave him 100% of my vulnerability. He became my new idol, and I was willing to do unimaginable things to keep my secrets hidden, hidden, including having two abortions. After the first abortion, I completely shut God out of my life, both for fear that he would expose my sin and also because I felt these sins were unforgivable. I was not listening to the spirit of truth, but was listening to Satan, the father of lies. Let me pause here just for a second and just speak really clearly. Like scripture tells us in several places there are no unforgivable sins. There's no unforgivable person. Uh, Romans 8, 1 through 2, 1 and 2 states, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. During this, time, during this time, I battled cancer and never even prayed for healing. Although I would still pray with the kids as I tucked them in, not once did I pray on my own. My loneliness was overwhelming, and I had no joy or hope. After our first night at Reengage, once again, I felt committed to ending the affair, but just like before, I didn't follow through. After hearing all that God did for other broken marriages, I left here that night and I surrendered entirely to God, asking him to save our marriage. A couple of my close friends were able to see things in Angie's behavior that I was blinded to, and they alerted me to the possibility that she may be having an affair 
On the following Monday, after we first attended Reengage, I confronted Angie at the other man's home. The next few days were a blur as I learned about all that had been going on. I am certain that in these moments, God was using what I had experienced at Reengage the previous week to comfort me and show me what he was capable of. Now, when we speak of these, this timeline, we state that it all happened in God's perfect timing, but that was not what we were feeling at the time. I remember God hates divorce, and he had shown me how the most broken of marriages can be healed. As much as I hurt and as terrible as our marriage was, I knew that God was working in both of us. The sequence, over the, the sequence of events over the previous month or so pointed to God's love for us. He brought us to the point in time where both of our sinful behaviors were laid bare and our hearts were softened just enough towards one another at the same moment to think reconciliation may be possible. I asked several things of Angie, and she was willing to do everything I asked, including honestly answering difficult questions. Her brokenness and humility provided a clear indication of her remorse and her desire to reconcile our marriage. Uh, just two days after discovering the affair, we were back at Reengage, entering in a much different state of mind than the week before. That night, we shared what was going on in our marriage with Reengage leaders. They assured us that we were not alone, reminded us of God's love for us, and showed us what the first steps forward looked like. They gave me the book Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. The premise of this book is, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? These truths were pivotal in shifting our thinking, allowing us to see our individual fa failures in our marriage. We also learned what drawing the circle around ourselves looked like. It is difficult to adequately express the blessings we receive from our experience in re-engage. God wrapped his arms around us from the moment we walked in the door. He surrounded us with people who understood where we were and loved us well. They spoke truth to us and encouraged us when we became discouraged. Others, I remember, opened their home to us late one night uh, as I had decided to leave Angie because I thought the pain of staying together and forgiving her was more than I could bear. They reassured, reassured us that while the path of forgiveness and obedience may not be the easiest ones, easiest one, the efforts would be worth the reward. They lovingly walked us through resolving the conflict and I returned home. While we initially questioned how we would connect once we got placed in our closed group with the other group members, we quickly developed close friendships as members of the group began vulnerably sharing their experiences. God showed us that none of us were without sin, hurt, and some degree of conflict. We were blessed by these couples and leaders at a critical moment on our road to reconciliation. As I shared my sin struggles with re our re-engaged group and my close friends, lines of accountability were developed. As odd as this may sound, that Monday 11 years ago, when my darkest secrets were revealed, is the best, one of the best days of my life and a day I celebrate every year now. Psalm 32, 3 and 5 perfectly describes my situation. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Bones wasting away through my groanings all day is such an accurate portrayal of how I ached during my long season of isolation. I had committed unthinkable offenses against God and those who love me, and I will always regret the pain my choices have caused them. But for the first time in years, I spoke to God again, and he was faithful. I asked him to forgive me for not living my life in a way that honored him. 
and the real me was presented to the world for the first time, broken, disgraced, and void of any form of self-righteousness. Fully surrendering to Christ was life-changing. I had known since I was a child that Christ gave his life and rose again so that I could be forgiven for all the mistakes I would ever make, but I was trying to earn my salvation. I just lost my place, so thank you. I had to trust the Lord's mercy is all that I need because my efforts to be good are worthless compared to Christ's sacrifice. I finally set aside my pride and owned up to my failures and the forgiveness I received from Wes and others was humbling. Receiving this grace softened my heart to extend forgiveness to Wes for years of resentment that I had been holding on to. Honoring Wes is one beautiful way I've learned how to show my love and obedience to God. I'm thankful to say I've never been more in love with Wes and not the kind of love I had looked for previously but a sacrificial love that brings peace beyond measure, as my affection for Wes is not determined by how he treats me, but by how Jesus loves me. We failed miserably to show our kids what a godly marriage looks like for many years, but thankfully our kids have witnessed the transformation in our marriage to one that is Christ-centered and full of grace. As we progressed through re-engage, we began to move closer to God and to one another. God used the hurt and pain I was going through to draw me into a deeper relationship with him. I found the only place in which I was guaranteed to find peace and hope was in him. A thirst for his word developed in me, and the following year I read through the entire Bible for the first time. I turned to God consistently in prayer and sought out and read books on godly wisdom. Angie and I finished re-engage in a much better place than where we began, but we were nowhere close to being healed. We were armed with the principles we needed to continue on our road to healing and restoration. Knowing that God loves us and had forgiven us for all the sins we had committed created a foundation for us to rebuild our marriage upon. When it seemed impossible to forgive Angie, I was reminded of how God's love and how God loves and forgives me for all the sin in my life. Reengage family and our church community showed me what it looks like to extend that same love and forgiveness to Angie. Our marriage story of redemption begins and ends with one name, Jesus. He's the reason we're doing what people would consider absurd sitting on this stage telling you about the wreck of a marriage we had and how God transformed our mess into a story of grace and joy. After years of trying to live a perfect life and experiencing great shame from constant failure, I now have such peace in the acceptance of God's grace and the freedom to be real with others. I'm learning how to let go of my desire to control others and follow Wes's lead, and he leads me well as he relies on Christ to guide him. Wes and I have a passion for marriages, and we know firsthand that Satan has no better weapon against the church than to destroy the families of God's people. Living a transparent life in community with others who are authentic in their daily walk has opened the door for dozens of conversations with individuals in marriages who are hurting, and we pray that our story can give hope to people by pointing them to Jesus. We've learned the truth of 1 John 1-7, which states, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ, his son, who purifies us from sin. Our marriage is now one of our greatest blessings as we truly enjoy our time together. Our daily life is now characterized by taking wise principles we've learned and implementing them into our lives. Uh, we've learned the benefits of meditating on God's word, journaling, uh, and memorizing scripture. 
while we have a much healthier relationship now, the truth is when we fail to pursue Christ daily, it's very easy for us to return to our sinful nature. We can become selfish, bitter, prone to anger, and controlling. Romans 8, 5, and 6 reminds us, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. We must remain committed to our pursuit of oneness by keeping our minds set on the Spirit. We often say we've been married 25 years, and it's been the best 11 years of our lives. <laughs> um, you know, God is here, and he is ready to radically transform your marriage into everything he designed it to be. This is a place where God's people will lean in and walk with you through the hurt that's been done to you and the pain that you've caused others. If you haven't already found another couple to be authentic with, let tonight be the night that you invite someone in. You know, if you're here tonight and you're broken or in a marriage that's falling apart and you're not sure what the next steps forward look like, I just want to offer you a simple prayer, Psalm 143, 8 through 10. Uh, David's praying out to God, and he says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. And if you have any question about, questions about God's love for you or any uncertainty about whether you have placed your trust in the Lord, I encourage you to find someone tonight with an orange name tag and just let them tell you how you can leave here with confidence in those things. Thank you for letting us share. Thank you. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, Angie.